Uh oh, she's talking to me already. That's right. Siri, where's good Mexican food? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My name is Pete Bingham, and I am a real alcoholic. And I want to thank Monica for uh, allowing me to come down and participate in your meeting. And I especially want to welcome those new folks that had the courage to identify. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. You never have to drink again if you don't want to. You never have to drink again if you do want to. And you don't have to hurt yourself anymore. Because when I came to you, I could not stop drinking. Now that's not true. I could stop and I could stop and I could stop and I can try. And, you know, it, it just I couldn't stay stopped. I guess that's the term. It was not until I really got to a point where I really wanted this thing and I knew that all my trial and errors were just errors. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to die. And somebody who I met in one of the meetings I went to made this thing look good, better than what I was doing at the time. So if you're here and you're kicking tires, you're not sure what's happening, stick around, give it a shot. Stay a little while longer, go to different meetings, hang out with those people that are smiling. We've got this thing around here called laughter that really kept me engaged in this thing and allowed me to stay here because I am the joke. And I learned that here that, you know, it's not as serious as I thought it was, but this is a deadly thing. I also want to welcome anybody who's, say, younger than 25 years old. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, <clears throat> I love the young people in here. I do quite a bit of young people's conventions and things. And you guys are a definite inspiration. And a lot of my sponsees um, are young as well. What I like to say is don't let anybody fucking chase you out of here. I say that because I've got nine years worth of general service under my belt. And I know this is an open meeting. But drugs and alcohol, drugs are part of my story, along with a lot of alcohol. If you're a drug addict, are you, if you're a, a bath salt zombie, if you are a kitchen product whore, whatever the case may be, stick around. Find out what you are. Keep going to some meetings. AA saved a lot of people who were not alcoholic at first, but they kind of found out about it. And stick around here. And for those young people, remember, you paid the highest price of almost anybody you can think of. Think of what you did to get here. You burned out everybody that loved you. You pretty much torched every institution you came in contact with, and you had a constant state of trouble. At least that was my story as well. Stick around. There's some people here that care about you before you can care about yourself. And there's some really good examples here that I've seen through my experience, not my opinion, who really helped me be able to stay here happy and wholesome. Um, I want to also welcome any Al-Anons that might be here. Now, I know back in the day when I came in, you know, anytime you mention Al-Anon, hissing would go on and stuff like that. Problem with that is that's ignorance. So when I came in, one of my one of my running mates, Bill C, from the Bay, uh, South Bay area, his mom was the black belt of Al-Anon in the South Bay. Actually, she was the co-chair of Al-Anon when it started. Priscilla, uh, Cleveland, um, I would go over to his house because we we share the same desperate sponsor, and I'd go to his house, and she would have other Al-Anons there, and I would watch what you do. I have an appreciation for Al-Anon. I qualify for Al-Anon. I'm not an actual member. My sponsor is. Um, but I know what you do, and I want to thank you for that because, as it says in the book, man, you know, the, the alcoholic is like this, like this tornado or this hurricane in lives, and we affect 10 people, 
And what happens is, is Al-Anon usually gets the other nine. So thank you. Thank you so much for your service. It's so true. It's definitely in the blast radius of any alcoholic. I was born in the badlands of Palos Verdes and I was raised on the mean streets of Fountain Valley. So you know I'm an OG right off the bat, right? But who stands before you is a kid that grew up in the in a surf city in an idyllic neighborhood in a great time to grow up. And it's not where I grew up, it's not who I am that made me alcoholic, but it's alcohol that made me alcoholic. And what I like to believe is, is I am the genetic type for alcoholism. I didn't get alcoholic right away. I had to, I had to learn about it and things, but for me, it was a thing through a, a lot of uh, osmosis, as I like to say. Anybody here grow up in a violent alcoholic home? You know what it's like. You know you can't invite your friends over. You're ashamed of the way you're living. I spent more time at my friend's house than I did it at my own dinner table from ages, I would say, eight through uh, 16. You know what it's like. Remember the sounds? Remember the loud sounds? I'll go into that. It's, it's coming up. It's my story, and it's, it's part of your story. I've got 8,928 days. And in case we have any tweakers here, stop thinking. Now, I know you're thinking because I just threw out a date and you don't know how many days, how many years it is. I know that because I sponsor people like you. Yeah, believe it or not, an AA person sponsors drug addicts. And you guys are the best entertainment I've had for my value buck. You guys pick your face. You guys are constantly taking shit apart and never putting it back together. And the one thing I really, really cherished about saying yes, when one of you guys asked for help, whether you're an addict, whether you're an anda, whether you're an alcoholic, I learned the difference between carpeting and linoleum. See, I'm an alcoholic. I'm pretty much, I did a lot of dry goods, but I'm an alcoholic. For the alcoholics in the room, porcelain. Remember that feeling when you're hung out and you're just hammered and you wanna just take a rest and you put your face on that cold, nice, clean porcelain. Well, in my case, it wasn't clean. It could have been next to a urinal. It could have been an outdoor bathroom, but it was cool. And for me, that was a source of comfort. But for the tweakers, carpeting. I can't tell you how many times I've been working with a guy and we'd be in the book. And the next thing you know, he's doing this. And I'm like, hey, 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 we're doing book work over here. He goes, Thought I saw something. And I always ask the question, how many dust bunnies have you smoked? And then it dawned on me. Linoleum, porcelain, carpeting. They're all sources of hope. And they're all, they're all sources of just relaxation and comfort. And that's what differentiates us in my book. Growing up in Fountain Valley, um, Always a lone wolf, only child. Didn't start drinking right away, but in that household where the sounds were going on and everything, my, uh, my sweet spot was my room. That's when I would go up and I would relax and I could close the door and I could shut that out. I could never ever possibly anticipate if there was gonna be food flying, if there was gonna be a fist fight, if there was gonna be any kind of arguments, violence, you name it. Something was gonna happen in my household and for me, going in my room, closing the door, that was it. 
And I don't know about you, but I like to be naughty. See, I started when growing up and I started listening to a lot of music and I still do. And what happened for me was, is <clears throat> by the time, you know, the battle would wind down towards about nine o'clock at night um, with the parents and stuff. I don't know about you, but I would sneak out. <clears throat> Had an upstairs bedroom, we'd sneak out. Uh, I lived off of Brookhurst and Ellis. It was the farthest part where they annexed us. I went to Edison High School. They put that line right down Ellis because Fountain Valley High was right here, but all the athletes and stuff were right on this side. Not that I was one of them, but all of them were there and we were the farthest ones away from school. What would happen on my block is my buddies would be out. They didn't have the rigorous type of time things that most parents had. Mine, thing, mine was you had to be in when the streetlights were on to do your homework, right? Well, when the battle would wind down down below and it started getting quiet there on the home front, I would go out the window. And one night, <clears throat> the boys were out and it was under the street lamp and they were passing around a bottle. Kind of a wine type bottle here with a long neck on it, had a screw top on it. I hadn't been drinking a lot. Yeah, the parents had a lot of vodka in the, in, in the household. You know, a lot of things were going on. Vodka was a big thing in, in, in my family with my, with my mom especially. I qualified for this program in a couple of different respects. One, uh, when I came to you, I had three DUIs and a wet reckless. I had drank myself out of my house. I drank myself out of my marriage. And uh, I was about the better end to go all the way and make that fork in the road the wrong fork and uh, probably end my life soon because nothing was going right. But I also, pro I also uh, qualified for this program because my mom died of this disease at age 52. My older sister died of, uh, of this disease at age 55. I was an only child because I identify that way because she was 13 years older than I was and she was gone. So I always felt like I was the only child. And I, you know, I just always did the lone wolf. But alcoholism didn't just run in my family, it galloped. And most of the time you'd say, well, no big deal, no big deal. But I truly believe that I have this genetic component for alcoholism. I love to produce, I love the, the effect produced by alcohol and I always had. And, and I didn't, it didn't start always with alcohol, but this night the bottle was going around and somebody, it came to me and there's always been a question that I've been really feeble about, really weak ass. And the, the question is, do you want some of this? Because immediately I say, yes. The bottle came around, question was uttered, do you want some of this? And I took that thing and I took a big pull on it. Nothing really happened. You know, it was kind of this berry flavored thing. Uh, it, was, it was not it was not like a harsh alcohol because I had tasted alcohol. I didn't like really bourbons and I didn't like vodka. And I wasn't going to be like my mom who was a bad alcoholic drinking vodka. And by the way, my mom died when I was 15. And when we found her in bed, there was 18 vodka bottles underneath the bed. I remember many, many, many times growing up being in the back of the Pontiac, going to the liquor store so she could cut a bad check to buy vodka. And vodka was just like the freaking taboo of all time for me. I didn't like any clear liquids. It just associated with me with that. And I didn't want to be like my mom. And what happened was, is a couple more times I would sneak out and that little stupid little bottle would come around. And I don't know about you guys, but the next time this berry colored uh, bottle came around, I took a big pull up for it and I remembered it. And we all talk about that, that feeling. It's, it's that, that's, that, kind of a twinge that goes down your arms and it goes down your feet and you kind of, 
kind of get this really great feeling and your head kind of lightens up. Well, I learned that day that, you know, this, this berry colored, whatever you call it is a beverage. It was not a wine because it never saw a grape. You know, it was called Strawberry Hill. And Strawberry Hill was like the forerunner in the 70s to Zima, which is the most horrible thing man has ever produced. And I learned that night that if you throw up Strawberry Hill, it'll stain your vans. And what will happen is, is people will know that you've been drinking that crap because they'll say, oh, you threw up too. <laughs> that was me in high school. Now, I didn't start being a bad alcoholic and I didn't start doing stuff really bad until later on. One of my jobs uh, as a sophomore in high school, I used to be a sander. I sanded for infinity surfboards in Huntington Beach. This was way back in the day. This is in the early 72. What happened for this alcoholic was, is uh, there's a guy named Eric P. I don't even know if he's alive anymore, but he just won the Huntington contest. And that was the biggest contest on the West Coast. And I knew that the Huntington contest would come around because the long guns would start coming out and they were always a pain in the ass because they were always over seven foot. And if you're a sander, it's the most unglamorous job in the world. It's dirty, you're wearing a respirator, you're covered in shavings. Anyway, long story short, Eric came in one day and he said, kid, you always do a really good job on my guns. And then he asked me this question, do you want some of this? <laughs> of course, you know what I said, yes. <laughs> what happened was, is we went upstairs, out came a candle, there was a piece of foil, there was a paper, there was a, like a hair clip, they put on some brown, some brown powder or something on this thing, put it over the candle. I had a straw, it started bubbling. He said, hit it and boom. I just chased the dragon. Does that make me a drug addict? No. Did I start knocking over liquor stores and robbing people? No, I was a sophomore in high school. But the feeling that produced that day was better than any Strawberry Hill contraption you could ever think of. That whole thing just went over and blew my head off. Now, I didn't have good sponsorship back in those days, and I really didn't get the hang of doing heroin, and I never did shoot up because I was afraid of needles. And like my, Bill, my friend Bill C. always says, you know, I wanted to get earrings, but I, didn't, I got the clip-on ones because I didn't want to hurt myself because I don't like pain. <laughs> and what happened for me was it just, it just from there on, it progressed until I got into college. So I went to UC Santa Barbara, and that's when the trouble started hitting. I started picking up deuces. I was drinking, I was away from home. My first, uh, the first piece of furniture I brought into my, in my dorm room was a, was a hollowed out, maybe you guys remember this. It was, there was these cabinets they used to have back in the day. And inside they used to have like a turntable and some electronics and it used to be called hi-fis. I don't even know if you guys remember what those are. Anyway, I would hollow that thing out, took all the guts out, put a mirror on it, jigsawed some holes and put bottle holders in there. And I brought a bar into my dorm room. I was a freaking hero. And what happened for me was, is I started drinking on a daily basis. Now I was lucky enough to get out of college with only two DUIs, but that started my progression. By 1995, I had drank myself out of my marriage and my house and everything else. At that time, I was heavily into music. I was following this, this band, you guys, I don't know if you heard them, but they're called the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Saw 100 shows in, in 12 years. Now for the new folks here, ask your sponsor who the Grateful Dead are. I can't go into it, but it was the happiest place on earth. And that parking lot was ground zero for a great time. And I'll always, always remember that. 
1995, August 8th, Jerry Garcia died. He was a league of tribes of the dead. The fun stopped for this alcoholic and I absolutely bottomed out. Thank God that I've got uh, some crazy, got a crazy father who knew some people who lived out in the desert. And I got into the ABC center out in Indio, California. That was my spin drive. And I was there for a little while. I almost got 30 days and uh, I knew that I wanted to get back and, and get back to work. You see, I had this job and it was a really good, a good job. It was an important job. And I ended up keeping that job for 34 years. COVID hit and I took a voluntary retirement, but I sold titanium and super alloys for 34 years. I was the go-to guy in our company. We actually were a mill and we made the titanium. Anybody in aerospace, anybody in fabrication, I knew them from Washington State to Tijuana to uh, Colorado. And I love that job, but <clears throat> you know, it got to a point where I was wrecking company cars and I wasn't showing up. And I finally failed that piss test and that's what got me into the ABC Center. When I got out, I didn't embrace your program right away, but what happened for this alcoholic is this. Like Craig mentioned, when I was in the treatment center, they used to put us in the short bus and they would put us up, um, up the hill and it's up on Portola and it's over there in Palm Desert. And there's a place called Fellowship Hall. And I used to go to that thing because, you know, they had bust us up there. And one night there was a speaker meeting, kind of like this. And there was a guy up there that was wearing a tie. And there was a guy up there that had a jacket on. And he started talking about himself and talking about himself. But he talked about the places that he served and identified. He talked about the trouble that he was in. He talked about the feelings he had of regret and remorse from when he'd come after a run or after he'd, he'd come back and, and see his wife and his wife would have this disgusted look like, you're drunk again. You're, you know, why, why do you keep doing this? Don't you know it's too much? And the friends would give him that look and I identified with that. And he talked about this program of Alcoholics Anonymous and he quit drinking, he got a sponsor, he did this work and his life got grand. I went back to the treatment center. And I said, I wanna do that. I think I can do that. And I escaped, I didn't finish my 30 days. Uh, I had paid a whole $475 for that 29 day stay. But what I did was, is I started reading the literature. I read the CA book, the NA book, and the, uh, uh, I forget what the other one was. It was, a, it was not a conference proof literature, but it was something else on those lines. And I started my journey. Now I've loved live music and here I am not drinking. Um, one of my favorite places to go was Irvine Lake for this thing called the Hootenanny. Uh, I was out there, especially a good time. This is uh, 1999. My sobriety date is January 1st, 1999. I know the tweakers are like going, well, you can please give me that date, give me that date. <clears throat> I do have a sponsor, his name is Jay. He's got 44 years. His sponsor is Paul C down in San Diego. He's got 48 years, I believe. And one of my favorite uh, A's of all time was my great grand sponsor, Harry Homer, Harry Homer, up to 10 years ago, uh, had 55 years of sobriety. Harry is specific, or it's very special to me is because I'm a history buff of AA. Harry's first sponsor was uh, Jimmy Burwell. Jimmy Burwell was one of the first 100. And Jimmy was living in San Diego, and he sponsored Harry. So I've got direct roots to the first 100 of this program. Not that it means anything, but for me, because I'm a history geek, I love it. And Harry used to hold court down in the Carlsbad workshop. And that old, that old dude, man, he would, he would laugh at me. Not he wouldn't laugh. He would always smile because he knew I was in general service. 
He goes, you're one of the grand sponsees that asked to be the GSR in your first year, didn't you? And I said, yeah, it's illegal. He goes, I love it. See, this guy had 55 years of sobriety and he's the greeter in one of the biggest speaker meetings on the West Coast. He always raised the bar for or lowered the bar for us all the time. And he always asked me, how's general service doing? This is one of these guys that made it palatable and attractive for this alcoholic, this cynical alcoholic. Anyway, I'm at the, I'm at the Hootenanny this, this time. Um, Cramps were playing, Reverend Horton Heat, Social D, um, and Billy Zoom of X had his own band, which I had to see because I've seen more X concerts than probably anybody in this, this room. What happened was I met her. You know her. For me, her is about 5'10", kind of goth looking, nice straight bangs, dark hair. We're under a tree and I'm not drinking. She's not drinking. And I didn't notice it at the time, but we started chatting it up. Next thing I know, we're dating. On our third date, she lived in Beverly Hills and I was living in Torrance at the time. We're at this fancy restaurant and I took her down there and she goes, you know, Pete, I see that you're not drinking. Are you an AA? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm an AA. I hadn't gotten a sponsor yet. I haven't really started your, your big time literature yet. I hadn't started doing steps. She goes, you know, that's funny because you, you never talk about it, having a home group. Mm -hmm. And I said, I started to say something. She goes, you know, I've never heard you talk about having a sponsor. And in my mind, my brain's going, does she know I drove her here tonight? And then she said, you know, I never hear you talk about, you know, doing anything in your home group or have doing the steps. And my mind fires off again. Does she know that I'm buying dinner? And then she let me have it. She goes, you know, clearly you're not in AA. You're just not drinking. And the deal is around for me is, is I don't date anybody in AA unless they've done a sexual inventory or a fifth step. Now my antlers are way up. And then she said, look, clearly you're not in AA. You're around AA, but you're not in AA. And I really, really suggest you get off the freaking fence and join up. It'd, it'd, be, it'd be good for you. Now, look, this is a program of attraction, and I wanted what she had. <laughs> what happened was, I'm just being honest. Next thing I know, about three nights later, I walked down to this, this, this meeting in Hermosa. It was on a Monday night, and I've never left. I'm a member of the Hermosa Beach Men's Stag. Meets on Monday night, 8.30. If you be male, come on down. You're going to laugh a lot. It's one of the greatest meetings that I've been, my only home group I've had so far. I'm also a regular member of the Roxbury Men's Stag in Beverly Hills and meets on, meets on Wednesday nights. I am a product of Men's Stags, good or bad. It's just, it's just me. I, I get, I get my, my answers there from guys who have experience. I get, I get laughter, I get nourishment, I get stuff from Men's Stags and I always have been a Men's Stag. No, of course I go to, to uh, mixed meetings, no doubt about it. But I've gotten a reverence and I've got a cadence in the Men's Stags that I can identify with and I'll tell you, I can go to anybody in that room if I have an issue and they will give it to me straight up and they'll give it to me for free and for fun. And I like that. And I've never been steered wrong. And I've had many, many things done for me uh, with, the, with the men in AA. It's just one of those things. So now I'm in this home group and I'm doing the drill and I'm doing the steps. <clears throat> Craig talked about one of the greatest moments of his, of his life when he was doing the steps. Mine happened to be also with a fifth step. 
my first year of sobriety, I'm, Tuesday night was my, my deal with my sponsor. We'd, we'd meet for an hour and a half when we read. And I just finished my fifth step. This is, uh, this is the end of 1999. And I'll never forget, um, he used to have a meditation group, Jay did, that would, that would come in after my time on Tuesday nights. And he'd have all these gray-haired freaking Jedi that would come up, man, and they're like all with 30, 40 years of sobriety. And they'd, they'd all come walking up. And they were about 100 years old each. And they come in to meditate. And I'll never forget, I was finishing up my fifth step. And I was going down the stairs. And Jay goes, hold, hold on. And I stop and he says, come here. And I walk back up the stairs and he put his arm around me and all the guys, these, these crazy old guys with shitloads of time were coming up. He goes, fellas, Pete is safe to talk to. He just did his fifth step. Now, most guys would get pissed on that because it's a little bit of you know derogatory. But for me, it was, it was my badge. I was a made man in AA at that time. And all the old guys were like thumbs up and great and I'll never forget that simple act of kindness for something that I had did and I didn't ask for it. And, it, you know, I, I went on and, and the one thing that he, that he always implored me to do was anytime, anywhere that anybody in AA asked you to do anything, just say yes. Now we're all going to become for the new folks. We're all going to come in contact with something we don't want to do in AA. What does this have to do with not drinking and using? Here's the deal. My experience is not my opinion. My experience has been anytime somebody asks me to do something, do it. Do it once. You don't have to do it twice, but do it. I've had so many awesome experiences and some crappy ones that I didn't have to do again, but I had the experience to, to really identify that they were crappy or not. But the, but the good ones have far outshadowed the crappy ones. And this thing is one of the core things of my sobriety by just being available. When Monica calls, I didn't say, well, let me check. Let me do I said, of course, how can I help? Let's work it out. I've always been able to do that. Being part of the general service crew in the South Bay, I got a lot of experience on that. <clears throat> and I'm a cynical alcoholic. When uh, Jay came to me in October of 1999, he says, give me $200. I only knew Jay for about eight or nine months at that time. And, and we were just finishing up the steps. It's in my first year. And I'm thinking, okay, great. Here it is. West side, dude. I'm going to give him money. He's going to, he's going to want me to buy him Rolexes. I got to buy him some suits, going to buff him out. You know, I've seen all the West side clicky meetings. I've seen the women with the coach bag meetings. The musicians meetings are over here. You know, all this stuff. I thought, okay, here it is. This is where I start paying him. And I become a shill. And what I did was I just gave him the money and I waited. A month later, he came back and we were doing our, it was, it was my night. And he goes, hey, did you ever wondered what I did with that 200 bucks? And I said, yeah, I'd love to know. He said, I enrolled you in the lottery for housing at the, uh, the international convention. It's coming up in 2000. It's going to be in Minneapolis. I want you to go. Jesus, I'm a newcomer in AA. What is an international convention? He says, it's the one place on the planet that happens every five years. I really suggest you go. There's going to be thousands of people there. It's a lot of fun. You should go. My head said, I don't want to go. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I just got my job back because they put me on probation because I wrecked another company car. I'm on thin ice. I'm barely sober. But out of my mouth, I just said yes. And I went. It was the following year. It was June next year, 2000. I went to Minneapolis. 
And then it happened. Of course, I was appalled because I was, I was a brand new GSR and everybody's wearing their name bags, their name tags all over public in, in Minneapolis. They're breaking traditions left and right. You know, it's just, I was appalled because I thought I knew everything about at that time. But what happened for this alcoholic was this, I had a great time. It was really lame because we have a flag that we have for our convention in Torrance. Somebody brought our flag to the international convention and we all sat around and I was ashamed because, you know, flag, how lame. <clears throat> but what happened was, is just like at our meetings, in the very last meeting, they have it in this massive stadium. It was where the Twins play. It's an indoor stadium, baseball stadium. There was 55,000 people in the stadium. We're in the back about halfway up, of us guys, with our freaking flag. And at the end of the meeting, just like they do here, we all stood up and said the silly prayer. Now, I haven't embraced your God yet. Okay, I'm, I'm going to act as if I'm going to do these cool things you can do. But, you know, God, we, you know, I came from a household that we used to invite the Latter-day Saints and the Jehovah's Witnesses in. My dad used to put them on the couch and grill them because religion is weak and it's, it's a crutch. And we're going to make fun of these guys. And that's the way I grew up. What happened was, is prayer started, we we're holding hands. And that feeling that I had when I smoked that heroin it went up this arm, whatever hair I had left was standing up on my neck and it went down this arm and I looked out and I saw you. See, I saw the Worldwide Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. There was people from every country on the globe. And inside my little pea brain, it said, this thing could work. Why are all these people here? And from that point on, I've leaned into this program with every fiber of my being. I went to four others and I was so pissed when pandemic hit. I was all locked and loaded for Detroit. I wanted to go to AA and Murder City. That would have been awesome. I was locked. It was ready. I had housing and the whole shit stuff. And we had all my buddies are going to be there. Had to shut it down. General service has been great. And it really gave me the foundation. Let me tell you about my first sponsor or sponsee. I used to go to the Rodeo meeting. It's the one on Beverly Hills and it was on uh, Friday nights. See, I like, to, I like to watch strippers and newcomers get, uh, get sober. It's just really crazy, especially actors too. They're like twitch around in there. And I was a regular at that meeting. I'd go every Friday and hang out and, and they always had the best speakers around. It was a big, big meeting, especially back in the 40s, 50s and 60s. Still is someone. And then it happened. This guy came up to the car afterwards and he said, excuse me, excuse me, I've seen you here. Um, I need help, do you sponsor? I'm in my first year of sobriety. Yes, I finished my work, my, my book work and, and my steps. And of course my head explodes and I'm like, oh great, this is gonna be good. He said, will you help me? And of course I just said yes. He said, great, my name is Pete, man. Here's my phone number, let me get your number. Let's, let's talk soon, man, I really need help. Man, I got on my phone immediately and I called Jay. I said, Jay, Jay, some dude just asked me for help. He wants me to sponsor. And Jay goes, well, what'd you say? I said, yes, yeah, I said, yes. But I, I got some doubts here. I mean, I, I, I got an issue, man. This, this guy's gay. I know he's gay. And I, I don't know anything about that. I mean, he goes, Jay goes, no, no. You said yes. Your job is to take him through the steps. Your job is to take him to meetings. 
Your job is to be there for him and give him a little bit of an usher into this program. He knows how to be gay. <clears throat> if I would have said no to Pete that night and not sponsor a homosexual or not sponsor a tweaker or tailor make this program to me, I would have not got I would have not gotten the whole deal about what it's like to be a homosexual in Los Angeles. We got up to the fourth step. And this guy could not share and go beyond that because the guilt and the remorse and the stuff that he had to do for his way of life was overpounding. I mean, the stories that he had, he just couldn't do it. And I got, and I got the effect on me was this, you know, thank God that I don't have that, that, that I, that I didn't have to go through that, but I understand. And I honor you for that. And, and I'll be here for whatever you need in this program. But please, you know, find somebody who can help you. If you need help, we will. And I never saw Pete again. <clears throat> but I got the appreciation for what's it like. You see, this is an experiential thing. I've got to try different stuff to keep this thing fresh. It's important for me to go places that maybe I don't want to go. Since that time, I've sponsored, I sponsored many, many guys. And Craig, I'm sorry I couldn't bring a Tim and a speaker, but... The newcomer union in LA is really freaking rough now. They don't let anybody out after eight o'clock. So I, you know, I couldn't get it. Most of my guys are in sober living, you know, and, and, and they're new. I don't know why you're here, but I know I'm here. I have got a fatal illness that wants me dead that is progressive. And I know if I pick up and I start drinking again, I know where it's going to lead me. This is the only sobriety I've ever had. I go to meetings to watch the people come back to tell me you're not missing a thing. And so far that that, that whole battle cry is pretty true. Stick around, hang out, find somebody that you might identify with. In the old days, we used to go to pie and coffee and all that stuff, you know, you'll put on some pounds, but hang out and do what we do. We always have a saying back in our home group that the most spiritual saying in the world is get in the car. You know, and we still do that. We do that a lot. You deserve this. Everybody in this room has been new. I know what it's like to be new. I'll always know what it's like to be new. And we know exactly the way you feel if you be new. This thing will work. This is the only thing that I know that will work for me that I've seen and I've tried. And the laughter will keep you here. Miracles happen. Hang out. Do the work, get a sponsor, get that sobriety date and put it in your, in your big book or put it on your program on your phone and do this thing. It's you're well worth it. You know, <clears throat> one other thing when I got here is my, my sponsor always says, well, do you have, do you have any suits? And I said, well, I was an executive. Of course I have suits. He goes, okay, well, just make sure you've got one ready because you're going to see a lot of people die around here. And that has been the case. The memorials I go to, we call them tops trading cards, but it's usually the little cards, the memorial cards about people. I've got a shoebox full of those cards. So like what I say, miracles happen. Stick around, do the work, do it one day at a time. Miracles happen. That miracle could be you. Thank you.